Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. This week, Robert Madu shares with us a message titled The Water and the Wilderness. We pray God speaks to you through this message and his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. I want to look at two passages of scripture today. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And then also Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And I believe through this text, we're going to actually see the system by which uh, God makes us stronger. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Once you have it, say, yeah. yeah. If you're still looking for it, say, hold up. I'll give you some time. Come on. Matthew chapter 3. And it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. You're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. In whom I am well pleased. That's exactly how God sounded that day, by the way, in case you were wondering. <laughs> Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse number 1. And it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, whoo, let that bless you for a minute there. 40 days and 40 nights. 40 days and 40, that's a long fast, okay, that's a long fast, I struggle to fast 40 minutes, but Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and I love when the Bible is just blatantly obvious, it says, afterward, he was hungry, I bet he was, 40 days and 40 nights with no food, and it says, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread, but he answered and said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Pause. Time out. Did you read what we just read? Satan is quoting scripture to Jesus. This is for free. This isn't even part of the message, okay? But I want you to understand this morning, especially as it relates to getting stronger, that your approach and your application of the word of God is critical. Because if you have the wrong approach or the wrong application of the word of God, you can actually manipulate scripture to say whatever you want it to say. That is exactly what the enemy is doing here. He said, well, it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus interprets scripture with scripture. He said, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Verse 8 says, again, the devil took him up on the exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Can you say amen? This, this morning, I want to preach, teach, encourage, and exhort you today. Not long, probably about six and a half hours. Uh, I'm just playing. Uh, just using this as a thought. The water and the wilderness. The water 
and the wilderness. Would you help me preach and just look at the person next to you, get in their face, get in their personal space, and just say, neighbor? Come on, don't be afraid to talk to your neighbor in church. Don't be saved and bougie. Come on, look at her. <laughs> say, neighbor? It's about the water and the wilderness. Come on, in case that neighbor was stuck up, find one more neighbor, find one more neighbor. Come on, say, other neighbor? You're my second option. <laughs> but I want you to know it's about the water and the wilderness. Come on, if you believe God's going to speak to you today, would you give him some praise up in here? Ooh, come on, let's pray before we go into this. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your presence I sense in here today. Thank you that this is the day that you have made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Holy Spirit, saturate this place. We hadn't come out of religious routine. We're not gathered here today to be entertained. We have come to be drastically changed. Speak to us so clearly. And when we leave, let us say it was so good to have been in the presence of Jesus. And somebody loves Jesus. Say amen. amen. Say amen again. Amen. The water and the wilderness. MC City, this year, this year, I will celebrate and commemorate 14 years of full-time itinerant ministry. 14 years of full-time ministry. For the last... 14 years, I've had the incredible privilege and opportunity to travel around the world and preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ for 14 years. It's hard for my young mind to believe this even been 14 years because I first started coming to the church I'm a part of in Dallas when I was just three years old. I preached my first sermon when I was 16, single, scrawny, still living at home with my parents. Now I am happily married, 32, two kids, one mortgage, six chest hairs. I'm a grown man now. I'm a grown man. <laughs> and uh, in, my, in my 14 years of traveling, there is, there's a question that I've often been asked, and it is a question based on an assumption. And it'll generally happen on a Sunday like this when my father is here with me. Inevitably, after the service, somebody will come up to me and say, hey, Robert, how long has your father been pastoring? Or Robert, how long has your dad been preaching? And to their shock, I let them know that my father, who's here today, is not a preacher. My father is a firefighter. For the last 30 years, my dad, Robert Madu Sr., has been fighting fires for the city of Dallas for the last 30 years. Now, my father and I, we have the same name, different vocations. Same name, distinctly different callings. I think that's imperative for you to note this morning because in the unlikely event that your house should catch on fire and uh, you were to be trapped inside of that house that caught on fire and for whatever reason, you could only call one Robert Madu to get you out, Make sure you call the right Robert, okay? Make sure you call the right Robert. Now, don't get me wrong. Both of us will do our best to make sure you get saved. Some of you get that tomorrow. Um, <laughs> like, neither one of us wants you to experience the flames. <laughs> however, <laughs> however... How we accomplish that objective will be totally different, okay? My father, Robert Madu Sr., he is going to get a fire truck. He's going to go inside the house and rescue you from the flames. My approach is going to be a little bit different, okay? <laughs> I'm just going to grab a microphone, and uh, I'm going to stand outside a considerable distance away from you that's trapped in the fire, and I'm just going to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you, and I'm going to say something like, Consider it pure joy. 
and my brother, when you face various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance patience. I know you're in the fire right now, but you're coming out as pure gold because no weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. Key change. Hey, you're not the only one that's ever been trapped in a fire. Y'all remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were in the fire too. And if God got them out, then he, I said he, not me, but he get you out too. I'm just telling you, I am a preacher, all right? Not a firefighter. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, in all seriousness. Uh, some of my greatest memories as a kid, some of my greatest memories was when I would visit my dad at the fire station. Okay, you got to understand, when you're a kid and your dad is a fireman and you get to visit him at the fire station, people, the fire station to a little boy is like Disneyland without the ticket prices, okay? It is a Legoland without the lines. I vividly remember running around the fire station. I'm trying on the uniform. I'm climbing the ladder. I am pretend driving the fire truck. I remember kids at school would be like, hey, Robert, I got a new fire truck for Christmas. I'm like, that's cute. I drive one. Hashtag dream bigger. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was also these incredible memories that I will never forget. But Embassy City, I will never forget the day I'm a kid. I'm visiting my dad at the fire station. I pretend driving the fire truck. And all of a sudden, without warning, I hear on the intercom, engine 26, Five alarm house fire, engine 26, five alarm house fire. And my father went from laughing and smiling at me, pretend driving the fire truck, to all of a sudden in his Nigerian voice saying, son, get up now. He picks me up, throws me out of the seat to my mom. Firemen started coming out of the crevices and the corridors of the fire station like ants escaping an ant bed that had just been stepped on. I saw two firemen, they were playing ping pong. One threw the paddle in the air and started putting on his gear. One fireman was eating a turkey sandwich. He stopped mid-bite of the turkey sandwich and just jumped on the fire truck, and in no less than three minutes, the same fire truck I was pretend driving was now peeling out of the parking lot, and the same siren I was pushing for my entertainment was now being pushed for an emergency because time was of the essence and destiny was on the line. And I will never forget the look on my father's face and the immediacy of the moment as he had to quickly transition from a moment of fellowship with his son to now racing to put out a fire that he didn't start. Share my childhood memory with you today in a feeble attempt to accurately articulate the tone and the tension of what is happening in Matthew chapter 3 with Jesus' baptism and in Matthew chapter 4 with Jesus' temptation. And I need you to feel the whiplash of our Savior today because in chapter 3 with his baptism, he is in perfect fellowship with the Father. But in chapter 4 with his temptation, he is racing to put out a fire that he didn't start but was started in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve took of the forbidden fruit and got humanity in the mess that it is in today and the tension is in his transition from the water to the wilderness. I'm going somewhere if you can stay with me today. Uh, I, I first want to pause right here and let you know that the chapter numbers and the verse numbers that are printed in your Bible, although sometimes they can be helpful, sometimes they can actually be a hindrance and stop you from getting the context of the text that you're reading. So if you're not careful, you'll do what I've done for years which is to read about Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, pause for a commercial break, 
then read about his temptation in Matthew chapter 4, and you'll be tempted to look at these two events as isolated events that should be viewed independently. But I submit to you today that these two events were never supposed to be viewed independently, but rather interdependently, because God has given us insight. He's given us biblical blues clues as to what you will face as a believer. He is showing you the system by which he makes your life stronger. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm just trying to tell you there's a connection between the water and the wilderness. Maybe I read the wrong verse of scripture and I shouldn't have read Matthew's account. Maybe I should have read Mark's account because look at how Mark puts it in Mark chapter 1 verses 9 through 13. If we could put that on the screen. Mark 1 verse 9 through 13. It says, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Next verse says, and immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. We're going to be here all day if the verses go this slow. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Verse 12 says, immediately, no chapter break, immediately the spirit drove into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beast. And angels came and ministered to him. Immediately, Jesus went from the water to the wilderness. See, it's that immediately that irritated me this entire week. Because I'm trying to figure out how in the world one moment he's being baptized, the next moment he's in a battle. One moment he hears a voice from heaven, the next moment he hears a voice from hell. One moment he is in total comfort, the next moment he is in total conflict. One moment he is in cohesive community, the next moment he is in complete isolation. One moment he is in the water getting a word from heaven, the next moment he is in the wilderness facing real warfare come on church don't act like you ain't never been there before how is it on sunday you experience god's power and presence but on monday it's like the enemy puts the laser beams of hell on your forehead one moment you're stepping out in great faith the next moment fear has gripped your heart one moment you want to pray for your enemies and bless them that curse you the next moment you want to look at all your haters and say catch me outside how about that come on does anybody know what it's like oh to make the transition from the water to the wilderness. The tension is in the transition. Why is it? Why is it on the pathway to your purpose, en route to your destiny, that the GPS system, God's positioning system, will always tell you, start on water road, then make a sharp right turn into the wilderness. He always takes you from the water to the wilderness. Before I talk about what happened in the wilderness, I first want to talk about what happened in the water. And I want you to understand today that Jesus' baptism was a big deal. How many know it was a big deal? Jesus' baptism is the scene at the beginning of the movie that if you missed it because you were putting extra butter on your popcorn, you may as well just go home and wait for the movie to come out on Netflix because you're going to be confused the entire movie. His baptism was a big deal. This is an epic moment. I found it intriguing of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who put pen to paper to talk about the life of Jesus. Only two of them discussed Jesus' birth. Matthew and Luke. Mark and John don't even deem it necessary to discuss the birth of Jesus. Come on, you know you gangster when you skip Christmas, okay? <laughs> These two dudes don't even talk about Jesus' birth, but all four of them, all four of them talk about what happened in the water and what happened in the wilderness. All four of them wanted us to know about these significant moments. Jesus' baptism was a big deal. I know his baptism was a big deal because the Bible says that when he got baptized that immediately the heavens opened up. The heavens opened up. Come on, you know when the heavens open up the atmosphere has just shifted you know when the heavens open up that something is going to happen whenever the heavens open up an announcement is going to be made come on I got the 
strange suspicion. That's why you came to church today. Not so we could have a cute service and sit on your blessed assurance and sing songs off a screen like it's Christian karaoke, but you actually want to see the heavens open up so you can experience God's power and his presence. Come on, you do know the next time the heavens open up that a trumpet is going to sound and we are leaving this earth and going to our real home that is in heaven and in glory. Come on, because somebody just take a praise break and give God some praise like you want to see the heavens open up in your life. When the heavens open up, something is going to happen. I know Jesus' baptism was a big deal. I know it was a big deal because of who showed up at the baptism. Because for the first and only time in the New Testament, the whole Godhead, the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, make a cameo appearance at the exact same time. Because you got God the Father making a declaration from heaven. You got God the Son being baptized in the water. And you got the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Come on, you know when the whole Trinity shows up. This is a significant moment. Oh, I, I know his baptism was a big deal because of what the father was declaring over the son. You see, the father was declaring something that every human heart has to know. The father was declaring a truth that has to be the anchor in your soul when life comes against you. The father was declaring something that you got to know that you know that you know, no matter what you're facing in here today. And that truth is this. I am loved. I am a child of God and he is pleased with me. I am loved. I am a child of God and he is pleased with me. I am loved. I am a child. I'm going to say it till you get it. And he is pleased with me. If you don't get anything else I say today, if you could walk out of this room today knowing that you are loved, you are a child of God and he is pleased with you, how many know that will change your life forever? That will change the way you hold up your head when you walk into a room to know that you're loved. You're a child of God, and he is pleased with you. I want to give you an exercise. You should do every morning. Every morning, you talk about getting stronger. Every morning you wake up, before you brush your teeth, you all just go to the mirror and preach to yourself with your stanky breath and just say, I am loved. I am a child of God, and he is pleased with me. That would be a great way to start your day. If you're thinking about getting a face tattoo, I wouldn't. But if you want to anyway, I have a suggestion of what you should put on your forehead. You should put, I am loved. I am a child of God, and he is pleased with me. Next time you go to Starbucks and the barista says, what name should I put on a drink. You ought to tell him I am loved. I am a child of God and he is pleased with me. Next time you're on Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat and you ain't getting the likes or the comments you thought you were going to get on that post, I dare you to cut off your smart device that's making you stupid and just declare to yourself I ain't living for nobody's likes because I'm already loved. I'm a child of God and he oh I feel like preaching in here today he's pleased with me that truth would change your life forever what if what if what if what if you filtered every circumstance every negative comment from other people through that transcendent truth that you are loved you're a child of God and he is pleased with you you wouldn't lose your joy so easily if you were confident of that you wouldn't walk into church looking constipated like you've been sucking on lemons if you knew you were loved you're a child of God and he is pleased with you that means when people say I don't like you Say, that's cool. I'm still loved. I'm a child of God, and he is pleased with me. Well, I think you're ugly. You're entitled to your opinion. I'm still loved. I'm a child of God, and he is pleased with me. You know you ain't got no teeth. I know, but I'm still loved. I'm a child of God, and he is pleased with me. That truth will change your life forever. But hear me, Embassy City. That's where most believers stop. Most believers stop at the water. 
Now, don't get me wrong. The water is a significant place because the water, hear me, is the place where your identity is confirmed. The water is the place where you find out who you are and whose you are. Note when the father makes this declaration over the son. He says this before he's ever done a single miracle. He hadn't walked on the water yet. He hadn't taken the two fish and five loaves and multiplied it and made the first red lobster yet. He hadn't healed anybody yet. He hadn't cast out a demon yet. He hadn't even been to the cross yet or gotten up from the grave. And yet the father still says, you are loved, you're my child, and I'm pleased with you. How? He ain't done nothing. I know. But this has nothing to do with performance. Everything to do with proximity and relationship to me. You are still loved. You are still my child. And I'm still pleased with you. But watch this. This is where most believers stop. We always stop at the water. So you leave a service like this, you're like, whoo, church was good today. Did you hear the word? <laughs> I'm loved. I'm a child of God. And he's pleased with me. And you're feeling real good in the water. But I felt the need to warn you today that right after the water, you will walk straight into the wilderness. Right after you hear the voice from heaven, hear me. You will hear the voice from hell. And this is what messes us up as believers because we've almost been programmed and conditioned to think that once I have the approval of heaven, I won't have an attack from the enemy. See, this ideology is even promulgated from pulpits to the point that we have relegated the approval of God to a better house, a bigger job, a bigger check. Oh, I got a check in the mail. Oh, I got a raise. God is pleased with me. We have relegated it to blessing. And don't get me wrong. I am all for blessing. I believe God wants to get a blessing to you so he can get a blessing through you. I'm for blessings on blessings on blessings on blessings. However, the life of Jesus is proof positive that the approval of heaven does not absolve you from the attack of the enemy. As a matter of fact, I'll go further to say that the reason some of you are facing what you're facing right now is simply because God is pleased with you. You didn't do something wrong. You did something right. That's why hell is coming against you. Uh, conversely, the reason why some of you life is perfect right now and you just tiptoeing through the tulips and Kool-Aid is coming out of your water fountain because you ain't done anything. You haven't disturbed anything. But can I tell you, when you start kicking demons out of your house, when you start telling the devil you can come no further, when you start saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, when you start taking territory from the kingdom of darkness, hell gets nervous because... Ooh, because of what God is doing in you and through you. Oh, come on, we just teaching. Y'all calm down. It's, it, is, it is the smile of heaven that attracts the scowl from hell. That'll tweet. It is the smile of heaven that attracts the scowl of hell. I just came to tell you today, receive the smile, but don't get shocked when the scowl from hell comes against you. Well, I'll be honest, when I was studying this text, I did not like this sermon at all, which is bad. You should kind of like a sermon you're about to preach. Because I told God, I was like, I don't like going from the water to the wilderness. I told God, I would rather have my water experience in the wilderness. Come on, like, I think this, maybe I have too much imagination, but I think this text will read a whole lot better if it started off in the wilderness. Can you see it? If it started off in the wilderness, and as soon as Satan rolls up on Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, then let a voice come from heaven and interrupt Satan in the middle of his speech and say, 
What you mean if he is the son of God? He is the son of God because I already said he was the son of God. Satan, I'm going to tell you right now, you better put some respect on Jesus' name. You better put some respect. on him. If you don't put some respect on his name, all three of us, Father, Son, and Spirit, about to mess you up. As a matter of fact, let there be water. And then water shows up in the middle of the wilderness. And the whole Godhead takes Satan by the throat and just starts drowning him in the water. And says, I wish you would say if one more time. Just drown him to death. And then, and then after Satan's lifeless body is floating in the water, that's when you call John the Baptist and say, we're ready for the baptism now. <laughs> Just think it would read better like that, but it won't happen in Missy City. It will not happen. God always takes you from the water to the wilderness to make you stronger. He will take you from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to, it is his system, from the water to the, I'm going to say it till it annoys you, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the, I want you to hear my voice in your head at work tomorrow going, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the, it is God's system, from the water to the, huh, you do know in our text today when John baptized people, he baptized them in the, oh, come on somebody, in the, but when they asked John who he was, he said, I am a voice crying out in the, crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. What is the way of the Lord? He takes you from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the, oh, now I see why the children of Israel had to go through the Red Sea. Woo, because the Red Sea is comprised of. And the water is the place where your identity is confirmed. And Pharaoh thought they were just slaves. But they were not just slaves. They were loved. They were children of God. And he was pleased with them. And when you are God's child, there is no stronghold. There is no addiction. There is no bondage that can ever hold you down. Because whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. So Moses had to lift up his staff. And he split the... But they didn't go straight to the promised land. They went right into the, they were in the wilderness 40 years. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days. God always has this system of taking you from the water to the wilderness. I don't want to sound like a broken record, and uh, I certainly don't want to bring my own presupposition to this biblical passage in pericope, Uh, but I have two kids, two kids, two-year-old and a one-year-old. Pray for your boy. And uh, because my kids are so young, their birth is not too distant of a memory to me. And I would even like to pose, posit, and postulate today that even the way we enter the earth is just a microcosm, it's just a mirror of this transcendent truth that God always takes you from the water to the wilderness. Ooh, can I preach this like I feel it today? You, you do know how you were conceived, right? You do remember how you were conceived, right? You were conceived in your mother's womb, identity confirmed in the womb. Oh, we're having a boy, oh, we're having a girl. And then it's funny, in your mother's womb, you were surrounded by... So much so that when your head got too big and your birth was imminent, your mama looked up over the dining room table and said, "Uh uh-oh, my just broke and rushed to the hospital. And do you remember how you came into the earth? Do you remember your first birthday? How did you come into the earth? Did you come to the earth laughing? No. Did you come to the earth dancing? No. Did you come to the earth singing? No. Did you come to the earth rapping? Started started from the belly, now I'm here. No, no, no. That's not how you came into the earth. Every single baby came into the earth just like this. Kicking, screaming, crying. And us goofy parents look at a baby that's crying at the top of his lungs and we smile and talk about, hey, welcome. 
welcome to the world. And then little girl was talking about, I am convinced, Embassy City, I'm convinced if you could translate and transcribe the cry of every newborn baby, the caption across the screen would read, what you mean welcome to the world? Don't you mean welcome to the world? Spend your entire life dealing with the complexity of the wilderness that you were born into. Learned in my life to be quick to love, not quick to judge, because you don't know the wilderness that some people were born into. And it is, it is the heat of the wilderness that seeks to evaporate your experience in the water. It'll leave you wondering, who am I? Where am I? How in the world do I deal with this? And the quintessential question that must be answered before we leave here today is, how are you gonna handle the temptations that face you in your wilderness? How are you gonna handle it? Some of you are like, hey, Robert, how dare you ask us such a question? I'm a child of the Most High God. I've been saved for years now. I floated in the room today. I had manna and communion for breakfast. What is this you speak of? This temptation in my wilderness. Why I'm in church today. I know, but this is the water. Tomorrow you got to go to work. That is the wilderness. And the tension is in the transition. Oh, I got to hurry. But I want you to see that the same spirit, the same spirit that descended on Jesus in the water is the same spirit that led him into the wilderness. Don't miss that in the text. The Bible says the spirit led him into the wilderness. So the wilderness is not the problem. The problem is who is in the wilderness waiting on you to get there? Satan was already in the wilderness, posted up, and was waiting on Jesus to get there and did not even open up his mouth or clear his throat until after Jesus had fasted 40 days. But he was already there watching him. This is what the enemy does. This is his tactic. He waits. He watches. Then he attacks. He waits. He watches. He's the original creeper. He watches. Then he attacks. Just watching him. Huh? 10-day fast. Oh. 21-day fast. You are the son of God. Go, Jesus. Go, Jesus. Go. 30-day fast. 40-day fast. Oh, you're done fasting? Mm. Now I'll approach. Uh, excuse me, Jesus. Why don't you turn these stones into cornbread? After he had fasted 40 days, this attack was strategic. This is what he does. He waits. He watches. And then he attacks. He's doing it to you today. You thought you were just by yourself worshiping? No, he was waiting. He's watching. <laughs> and he's going to attack. He did it in the Garden of Eden, the original Whole Food Market. As a snake, he slithered up in there and he waited. <laughs> he watched. And he attacked as a snake. Ooh, it's going to mess you up. I, I watched a special on the Discovery Channel. I was watching a special that they did on snakes. And I almost changed the channel because I don't do snakes. But. I'm glad I kept watching because they said something that blew my mind. They said snakes, watch this, are one of the only species that never blink. This is a snake. They don't blink. They just watch and they wait for an opportunity to attack. Oh, it gets worse. I watched another special they did on Discovery Channel. And this was about a lady that had a pet snake, a Pets, a pet snake, the animal that Satan chose to manifest himself through. This is her pet, okay? That's a different kind of cray-cray. And 
She ran into a problem because her snake stopped eating. It refused to eat for several months. She used to feed the snake rats and rodents, but the snake stopped eating. Out of concern, she takes her snake to the veterinarian. She says, oh, veterinarian, we have a problem. She said, my snake, it will not eat. For the past few months, it refuses to eat. The veterinarian looked at the snake, looked at the woman, looked at the snake, looked at the woman, then began to ask her a litany of questions. She said, uh, ma'am, by any chance, have you been sleeping with your snake? The lady goes, yes, I have, I have. I gotta be honest, he's a python, he's not poisonous, and his cage is right next to my bed, and there are some nights that I let him kind of slither out, and I let him come into the bed with me. I like how so many people get shocked whenever I say that story, as if there aren't other humans who have slept with snakes, but that's a different sermon for a different day. I digress. Um, <laughs> I digress. Um, but she said, uh, <laughs> She said, yes, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I sleep with my snake. The, the, the veterinary said, hmm. She said, ma'am, while sleeping with your snake, have you ever woken up to your snake right next to you and stretched out beside you? The lady goes, yes. As a matter of fact, the other morning, my snake was right next to me, and it was stretched out beside me when I woke up. The veterinarian said, hmm. She said, ma'am, I have some good news, and I have some bad news. So the good news is your snake is not sick. She goes, oh, thank you, Jesus. She says, the bad news is the reason your snake has not eaten for several months is because your snake is preparing to eat you. She said, the reason your snake has not eaten for several months is because it is strategically orchestrating its digestive system to have enough room to eat you. She said, the reason you wake up to your snake right next to you stretched out is because your snake is sizing you up and is trying to see how big it has to get to swallow you whole. The lady said, really? And I think that's how some believers act as it relates to the attack of the enemy. The enemy does not like what God is doing in you and through you. He is sizing you up, trying to destroy you. But come on, is there anybody that's thankful that he's already been defeated because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ so he can keep looking? But I'm going to be who God has called me to be, and I'm going to do what he's called me to do. Oh, come on, somebody give God some praise in this place today. If you're thankful for the victory you already have. Oh, I'm not trying to scare you with snake illustrations, but I do want you to be aware that the enemy is watching. He is waiting. He's looking for an opportunity to attack. I got to hurry. But here's what I found growing up as a church kid, that most believers, watch this, we either overestimate evil or we underestimate evil. Very few believers are balanced. We either overestimate evil or we underestimate evil. What do I mean by that? Overestimate evil. You know this believer. Everything is the devil. Everything is the devil. Girl, that's the devil. Oh, the devil is attacking me. Man, my car won't start. Girl, the devil is in that car. I'm telling you, the devil is attacking that car. Don't worry. I'm going to get some believers together. We're going to get some oil, girl, and we're going to put some oil on that hood of that car, and we're going to pray. No, you just need to put oil in the car. <laughs> Ain't the devil. <laughs> man, man, girl, my phone keeps crashing. I don't know what's wrong with this iPhone. My apps keep crashing, girl. Girl, the devil is in that iPhone. I'm telling you. You see, it's got an apple on the back that's been bitten out of it. Uh-uh. That's why I don't even do cell phones. Uh-uh. That's the de- No, you just need to do your updates, okay? It's not the devil. So there's believers that overestimate evil. But then there's believers who underestimate evil and just kind of casually tiptoeing through life as if the enemy is not trying to do everything he can to destroy you. 
So how are you going to win the war in the wilderness? How many know if you're going to win the war, you can't just shout. <laughs> you need a strategy. Come on, this series is about getting stronger. So I'm going to do what no preacher's done before. I'm going to give you four points in four minutes. <laughs> four, four things you have to know if you're going to win the war in your wilderness. If you're taking notes, get this down. Uh, if you're not taking notes, uh, get this down, okay? <laughs> Number one, you're going to win the war in your wilderness. You must first know where you are. You got to know where you are. Notice when the enemy launches his attack against Jesus. This is at the beginning of his ministry. The very beginning. John has already made the prophetic proclamation. The Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. This is Jesus' inauguration. And right after the inauguration comes temptation. The enemy wants to destroy you before you ever get started. Anytime you're getting ready to start something, you can expect an attack from the enemy. Oh, come on. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. Getting ready to start a business, expect an attack. Getting ready to start a family, expect an attack. Getting ready to start school, expect an attack. He wants to destroy you before you ever get started. Some of you have wondered why it seems like from the day you were born, all hell was coming against your life. It was because the enemy knew the destiny that was on your life, so he tried to kill you before you ever got started he wants to battle you right at the beginning don't get me wrong the enemy was always attacking Jesus throughout his ministry but there were seasons where the attack was more intense at the beginning also at the end in the garden of Gethsemane it's Jesus is sweating blood it's as if you can almost hear the enemy in his ear going are you really gonna go to the cross for all of them he did it again when he was on the cross to the voice of the crowd saying he saved others how come he can't save himself trying to get Jesus to get off of the cross and abort his mission because he was right on the edge of our redemption. Sometimes when you're right at the end and you're just about to push through, the enemy sends an attack right at the end to stop you from finishing. I'm preaching better than y'all are talking in here today. Where are you? If you don't know where you are, you won't know your pathway to victory. Where are you? What season of life are you in? The first question of God after Adam and Eve sinned was, where are you? He knew where they were. <laughs> he was trying to get them to realize where they were. Because if you don't know where you are, you'll never know your pathway to victory. All temptation is not created equal. Not even in your own life. There's temptation that comes in different seasons of your life. Come on, there's a temptation that comes with affluence that does not come with poverty. Uh, there's a temptation that comes with notoriety that obscurity does not bring. There's a temptation that comes when you're single that you don't have when you're married. Come on, somebody. When I was dating my wife, when I was dating my wife, there was strong temptation. Hello, somebody. Strong temptation. We were dating to be pure, to be a man. My wife is fine. It was strong temptation. Now we're married. That ain't the temptation now. Hello, somebody. I put a ring on it. Now the challenge is just to have a date night in the first place with two kids under two who are trying to destroy my sleep at night. It's a different season. If you don't know where you are, you won't know your pathway to victory. Number two, you're going to win the war in your wilderness. You have to know that the word is your weapon. Ooh. I should say the word is your only weapon. With every attack that the enemy launched, what was Jesus' response? It is written. It is written. It is written. It, not it is hashtagged. Not it is tweeted. Not, oh, it's in a message I heard last week. Hold on, let me download the podcast. No, it is written. The word of God is your only weapon. Stay with me. I found it intriguing that in the water, the word came over Jesus. In the wilderness, the word came out of him. 
See, we get it twisted. When we're going through a wilderness and we're going through a season, what do we want? We want a word over us. We come to church saying, I hope the preacher got something to say today because I am going through it. But can I tell you, when you're in the wilderness, you need more than just a word over you. You better have some word coming out of you to say back to the enemy. And it can't come out of you if you've never taken the time to put it in. You have to do what Eugene Peterson says, eat that book. The word of God is your only weapon. You got to get it in you. I'll tell you how God revealed this to me. I'll never forget when I was in Israel. I was in Israel, and uh, I had a conversation with this camel. I talked to a camel in Israel. I think they got a picture of it. Do you have the picture of that camel? Yeah, there it is. I talked to that camel in Israel. I had a conversation with that camel. I said, hey, Mr. Camel, I said, you live in the wilderness. How do you survive the wilderness you live in? Camel said something that blew my mind. He said, Robert. <laughs> he said, uh, you want to know how I survived the wilderness? He says, whenever I sit down to eat, he said, I'm able to take in large amounts of water and vegetation at one sitting. He said, I'm a- actually able to take in more than I even need, so much so that I store it in my body. He said, that's the humps you were just riding on. He said, so as I'm going through the wilderness, it doesn't matter if there's any resources around me. He says, I always got something in me that I can pull back from that will sustain me in the wilderness that's around me. Oh, come on, somebody. If you'll get the word of God in you, it doesn't matter how crazy the environment is around you. You have something to sustain you. Number three, and as I look the plane, you're going to win the war in your wilderness. You have to know what is at stake. What is at stake? Can I tell you, and somebody can even come play softly behind me, because you know when music plays behind a preacher, he sounds more spiritual. Um, <laughs> what's at stake? Can I tell you, Embassy City, why I love Jesus so much? So many reasons. One of the reasons I love Jesus is because I know that Jesus made decisions with my destiny in mind. He made decisions through the lens of his love for humanity. With every decision, he was thinking about us. Some people think he was just doing it on the cross and when he got up from the grave, but no, no, no. How many know he was thinking about us in the water and in the wilderness? Here I know he was thinking about us in the water. Quick question, why would Jesus take the time to get baptized? Ever thought about that? Like, why would Jesus get baptized? You know what baptism is, right? Baptism is an external expression of an inner commitment that says, when I go down in this water, the old me is dying in the water, but the new me is coming out of the water, ready to step into all that God has for me. Why then would Jesus get baptized? Come on, there's no old him to go down in the water. This is the perfect, spotless lamb of God. If there's anybody that could have skipped baptism, how many know Jesus is at the top of the list? Come on, that's why we read it earlier. John the Baptist is stuttering just at the notion to baptize him. He's like, you want me to baptize you? You just to baptize me? Come on, y'all. This baptism makes no sense. This is, this is LeBron James asking you for Duncan tips. Come on, this, this, this is Adele asking you for voice lessons. Come on, this is our current president asking you for spray tanning tips. This don't make no sense. Why would Jesus get baptized? For what? Then I remembered, I remembered that Jesus did not just come to die the death that we were supposed to die. 
Jesus also came to live the life that we were supposed to live. He is our perfect example. He had to be baptized. He says, John, I know you're tripping because I created you and I created the water you're about to put me in. He says, but I have to do this to fulfill all righteousness because there are those who are coming after me who have to have hope to know that you don't have to be defined by your current circumstance or your past mistakes, but how many are thankful that there can be a resurrection, there can be a new you, not because of your record, but because of the perfect record of Jesus Christ, not because of what you do, but because of what he's already done. He says, oh, you've got to baptize me. You understand in the wilderness, if he turns the stones into bread, he is no better than Adam and Eve that took of the forbidden fruit that got us in the mess that we're in today. He knew what was at stake. Can I tell you, when you're in the wilderness and temptation is coming against you, you must know what's at stake. You must know what is at stake, that you are not living your life just for you. There are people that are watching you. There are people that are coming after you. Come on, you have to know that the decisions you make today will determine the stories that you tell tomorrow. Know what's at stake when you're facing temptation in your wilderness. Number four, you're going to win the war in your wilderness. You got to know where your help comes from. Ooh, come on, somebody. I'm so thankful. The Bible says that the enemy tried everything he knew how to try, but there came a point where the devil left. How many are thankful that the devil has to leave, that he has to cease and desist, that if you'll just resist the devil, come on somebody, he has to flee. And I'm just not just shouting today because the enemy left. I'm shouting about what happened after he left. The Bible says that angels came and ministered to Jesus and began to refuel him even after the enemy left. Come on, I think that's why somebody had to be in this service today because the enemy's been coming against you. He's been attacking you. You've been trying in your own strength to stand still, but God says because of your faithfulness, because you resisted the enemy, how many are thankful that he's releasing angels your way, come on, to refuel you, to give you strength? When you're in the wilderness, don't forget where your help comes from. Is there anybody at Embassy City that says, Robert, I know where my help comes from. When you're in the wilderness, don't just look around you, just look above you and begin to worship him even in the wilderness, and God says, I will come right where you are don't forget where your help comes from my help comes from the lord came to encourage somebody today the way god gets you stronger his system is to take you from the water to the wilderness don't fight it if you're in the wilderness don't run away because you hear the lie of the enemy in your ear as a matter of fact you can face a lie from hell if you'll just hold on to the truth from heaven the truth from heaven is you are loved, you're God's child, and he's pleased with you. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.